All right. You do not have value in this world. What? You do not have value. Everybody, some of you guys are like, I just came back from Lori's class. She said, oh, that was awesome. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, you do not have value in this world. And here's, and here's what I mean by that. Value comes, in a very simplistic way, value comes from someone else or something else that has value imparting it to you. Um, and in a world that, the, as the world is right now, oftentimes rejecting faith, rejecting God, um, the universe as an accident has no value. The universe is an accident of the background, you know, vacuum of space that kind of accidentally, somehow, mysteriously, we still don't know why that would even happen, but supposedly uh, exploded out, out of nothing, something, and here you exist with no meaning with no purpose to your life, the universe dying and you having lived and died and nothing about it having any actual significance to it. Without God, your life loses that sense of meaning, purpose, value, significance. William Lane Craig is a kind of a famous philosopher of our day. He's kind of an apologist, speaks to a lot of universities around, and he says a number of different times, he just says it that way. He says, without the existence of God... A person's life is devoid of meaning, purpose, and value. That we lose these things. But when you say, I have meaning, I have value, I feel like I have value, I am not saying you don't. Because what you feel is right. But can you justify why that is correct? And so often you live, as as Francis Schaeffer, an old uh, preacher, used to say, it's like this world is like, it's like you're, you're like floating almost. You're like, you don't have a foundation. You don't know why anything is what it is. You just feel like it's true. And you might be right, but the why. Why do you have meaning and value? Because to the world without God, you don't. Even though they say, no, I do, but why? And so I want to talk a little bit about that idea today, about what does it mean to have value? What does it mean to have identity in an unidentifiable world? Meaning, like, where the world is just constantly struggling with, like, I need to have value. I feel like I should have value, but how do I create value and how do I find value in this world? It's a, it's one of those things that is interesting in our world right now. Progress, a book written by John, uh, or I think it's maybe it's Johan Noberg. Uh, he wrote this book called Progress a few years ago, and he, in it, he looked at all these different metrics. All, any kind of external metric of, of human advancement, development, and, and health that you could think of. And he found that every external metric is getting better. In fact, throughout human history, there has never been a better time to be alive than right now. You're far, le- you're far more likely to live to a ripe old age than ever in human history. You're far less likely to die in a war than any time in human history. You're far more likely to live free and not under like a, a severe tyranny in your life. Gender equality is higher. Racial equality is better than any time in human history. And I'm not trying to like say, oh, those things don't matter. It's all good. It's all fine. I'm not saying there isn't work to be done. I am simply saying that the metrics of all of these things would tell you that in the last 30 years, uh, maybe say 50 years, it has been an uphill turn. You are far less likely to go to bed, go to bed hungry than ever in human history. Like every metric that they could think of 
is getting astronomically better than any time in human history that you would have ever been alive outside of this moment. And yet, there was a study done with Americans right before, I think it was in 2019, right before COVID actually hit, in which case 71% of Americans said, you know, who kind of like, you know, the superpower of the world, like the epitome of all this, you know, freedom and striving for equality and all that. What did America say? It's getting worse. Everything's getting worse. It's so much worse. I remember right before COVID, I was sitting with the administration at CSU and the administrators, and they had they have meetings once in a while with faith leaders. And I, I oversee Chi Alpha here in Colorado. My day job is really at CSU, where I spend most of my time. And and we were talking at CSU with the assistant dean and other faculty and leaders, and they were telling us they said we are in a crisis basically. Said there is there is more anxiety more depression, more just debilitation uh, in this generation than we've ever seen. That, that mental unhealth is, is sky high. And they said, we've never seen anything like it. In the 100 years that we've been doing this university, and it's not a CSU trend, it's a national trend. That in this generation, anxiety, depression, all of these debilitating fears and worries is such at a sky-high level. They were using words like pandemic before anybody ever heard of COVID as a concept. They're talking about your generation and what's going on. COVID, well, then COVID hit and only accentuated everything they already were freaking out about to a whole other level. How is it that the world is getting so much better and yet our experience of it keeps getting so much worse? How is it that all the external metrics of our life would be so much better, and yet our feeling of health and happiness in it is constantly getting worse. And so I want to talk a little bit just about the idea of what gives us a sense of of self-worth, of meaning, of value, of identity. And when we read scriptures like in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, you are a new creation if you are a follower of Jesus. You are a new creature. And yet, so many times, we hold to an identification as a follower of Jesus, but we don't feel that the identity of Christ has transformed our reality. We don't feel like we're living with the peace and the joy and the rest that seems to be the patriarchs and these people in Scripture and what Jesus proclaimed in his life. What is it that we're missing? And in many ways... It is this idea of, of value and where we find it and how we find it in our world. So how do we rise above it? How do we rise above it? Now, there's a lot of ways to break this down. This is just a real simple way uh, that we can kind of talk about this idea. But identity formation is identity, not meaning identification. Like, I identify as, I don't know, an American, white, fairly tall, male. And some of those things, you know have meaning to me, and some of them don't have much meaning. Uh, you know, it's just, they're just kind of attributes of, of me. But when we talk about identity, we're typically talking about that thing by which I connect who I am to a sense of value in myself, that I have value because of X, Y, and Z. And we find our identity oftentimes from what validates us in our life, by what, what validates us, by what gives us a feeling of value. 
And, and whatever validates us or what we validate uh, in our lives, what we, what we kind of let in, what we validate through our, our lifestyles and our choices, that validation begins to shape value, our sense of value. And we shape our value around what gives us validation. I could say, um, I, I think I would be very valuable as a professional soccer player. We just got done with the World Cup. You may watch the World Cup this, you know, a little bit, a little bit. So I, I'm, you know, I'm a 40-year-old, you know, white American male. I think my future as a professional soccer player, even though I've never been on a soccer team in my life, is where I'd find value. I mean, yeah, maybe I could find a sense of value there. But you know what? I'm not gonna find a whole lot of validation in that identity. I could form an identity around that. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be a soccer player. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, big deal. Are you very good? No, I've never played. Um, right? You, it's through the validation of of coaches and players and the fans and all of the things that that you know. I did play college football. AKA, I was more of a tackle dummy, to be honest. But I was on the team and you know all that. And, and, you know, I watched, I wasn't particularly good, so I didn't get as much validation, but some of the all-stars on the team, you know, it was, it was the celebration around them that they began to frame who they were, not just like what they did or how good they were at football, but it was who they were. It was their sense of self because they found value in the validation that they were getting. And I knew a, a buddy of mine who worked with college uh, athletes and he said, the strange thing is, you know, I spend time as a minister to college athletes, he said, I, the one thing I can't do is validate their performances because that's the thing I'm fighting against. Their natural sense of identity creation because of how much validation they're getting is creating their value. And I'm actually trying to teach them how to have value in the kingdom of God, which is in contrast to the way the world thinks. So, so we find kind of this the value that we have, we begin to frame our identity around that. We begin to, to kind of protect it and reinforce it and develop it. You know, if I was really good at soccer, then maybe I would start doing more things. I begin to sacrifice more to actually practice more and get better coaches. And, you know, I do all this stuff. And I start to frame my sense of self around that value that I'm finding from the validation I'm getting. And so the, the thing about the Bible is... Paul says, hey, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2,000 years ago, before modern neuroscience would tell us, like, hey, what is going on with our brains and our minds and all that stuff, 2,000 years ago, Paul said, hey, what you think about affects, transforms your mind. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is not just, hey, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians, you are a new creation, that is not a you thing. That is a God thing. But when he talks about here in Romans 12, he says, this is kind of a you thing. Like you are a new creation, but you need to learn to take hold of what you have been given as a child of God. Take hold of that. Be transformed by it. But whether or not you take hold of it or not is up to you. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how do we take hold of kind of this, this natural progression and how do we kind of lean into what God is given us already and shape our sense of who we are as a result of what he's done in our lives. All right. So, um, 
let's talk about let's talk about validation first, and we're gonna just kind of work through from this is something of a structure for our little bit of time here this this morning, but um, validation or what others validate about you or what you validate is where we find value, and and one principle that we think about when we're looking at this is what you crave is what you claim in your life. What you, what you choose to crave, what you, what you develop in your heart as something that you long for, you desire, is, is what you begin to claim your, your value in. And so, you know, there's, uh, I don't know what, what kind of silly examples I could use. Well, I'll, I'll give you, for the nerds in the room with me, like me, uh, I'll give you like one study. So they did these. They did a study on rats. This study on rats, and and they found they could create habits for these these rats where like they push the button and you know food would come down, pellets would come down, and they get food. They they found that 80% of the dopamine receptors for the rats um, were related to craving. And 20% actually were related to reward, which is why all of you guys growing up for Christmas morning craved the presents, and Christmas afternoon was kind of blah, because it was the anticipation, it was the excitement for that present that really, you know, I have this two-year-old right now, and she's just old enough now, like she's understood, like, oh, if I unwrap, you know, if I rip open the present or the wrapping, there's a present inside. Right, so she's like excited, is all excited for Christmas morning, and she's on, you know, wrapping the present, and she says, "Cool," and she like throws it away and grabs the next present, right? Because it's the craving for the present that's actually sometimes more of a motivator, more of a driver than the present itself. So they found what they could do is they could actually suppress those dopamine receptors in the mice or in the rats uh, that were connected to craving, kept the ones that were connected to reward, and. They had the habit. They knew if I push the button, I get a pellet. I know I'm going to like the pellet. But you know, but I don't have any craving. I don't feel this desire. You know what happened to the rats? They starved. Because without that desire, without that longing, they didn't have the motivation to do what they knew they wanted to do, which is a lot of us Christians. We treat our faith kind of like that rat. We grew up, we know that God is good. We know that he's worthy. We know that he's supposed to be worth it. I don't feel that way, but I know that he's, he's supposedly worth it. And I know if I spend time with him, I spend time prioritizing the community of God, spending time in his word, praying. So, you know, I know it's going to be this rewarding thing, but I don't feel this craving to draw near to him. And so we, we live starving for the thing that we know we should do, but don't desire in our own hearts. We need to realize, like, we are meant to long for the things of God. We're meant to long for his presence, for his goodness. And if we learn to find that desire in him, then we will begin to find the motivation of our hearts to do what we know we should do, but sometimes don't. I remember one of the ways we do this is with community. I remember Duncan uh, years ago when he first went into Chi Alpha down in Texas. Uh, he didn't love Jesus, and he didn't really know what he thought about this whole Christian thing. He got into Chi Alpha, and he tells the story about how when he went into Chi Alpha, he wasn't a reader, like every college freshman ever. Um, wasn't a reader, right? But 
but he would hang out with these like Chi Alpha guys. And sometimes he would say something just kind of silly. We call it in child development, serve and return. It's like what you return. Why, it's why parents, when a kid does something naughty but funny, you're like trying so hard not to laugh in front of them because it's like if you give them that response, they're like, oh, I'll do that again. And you're, you don't want them to do it, even though it's really funny. Right? So, so Duncan would do something that was just kind of silly, you know, say something that maybe wasn't quite appropriate or something that just wasn't quite right. And they just kind of look at him and they keep talking and just kind of ignore it. And he was like, man, how do I, how do I get into this, into this conversation? How do I get in this group? And he's like, oh, well, I have these, you know, my small group leader gave me this Tozer book, I guess. that you know, Maybe I should read a little. So he's like, so I read a little Tozer. Last time he was, next time he was hanging out with Chi Alpha guys, he's like, I read this Tozer book. He's like, what? What book? What chapter? How far did you get? Did you get to this part? All of a sudden they started like giving him all of this validation for this, this, sense of act this action that he was doing that was connecting him to his faith and so now you know duncan is a great reader and he would call himself a reader and have because he cares about having a thought life but it started with the validation of the community that began to validate this identity that began to shape his trajectory and his destiny and we do the same thing in our own lives and so so are we putting ourselves in a situation that creates this longing in our heart for more. And C.S. Lewis says, if you tell a kid to play piano because someday they will love the way they can express their emotions and their deep sense of their self, uh, that little kid will look at you and say, who cares about that? That's tomorrow's problem. I'm going to go play. Right? So you got to tell the kid like, Hey, finish your, Finish your exercises and I'll give you a candy bar. Okay. You know, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's both and, but, you know, Duncan, it was the community and God gave us that for a reason. The community sometimes is that thing that helps us. It challenges and supports and grows us as we're journeying to do the thing we want to do, but don't have the motivation unto ourselves yet. We don't have that longing yet because we haven't experienced the goodness of God ourselves enough to find that craving to motivate us to do what we know we should do. So the community is really important. But but we say practically, are you drawing close to your value source? Are you drawing close to, to God? Are you drawing close to, that, to his presence? Are you drawing close? What are you letting validate your life? And, and you know, I remember um, in college, I was, I was part of the largest fraternity on my campus, when I started, I started at the University of Idaho. It's part of the largest fraternity. I was on this football team. I had a lot of friends, and and we, you know, I see all these guys kind of living out their life. But you know, I lived my faith, despite the fact they were living very different lifestyles than me, most of them. Uh, I lived my faith out really well in college, if I was kind of to be honest. I had another buddy though that was in Chi Alpha, and he saw me in my fraternity, and he said, "Hey, Nate can do it." I want to do that too. And, and so he got into my fraternity and he became a prodigal almost overnight. And we were, we were living out the same rhythms of life. And we were having the same friends, same community. But my faith grew through those interactions, through that pressure. My faith grew. His broke apart. And, and I, all I can say is at the end of the day, it was because of the where we looked to for that validation. Because, yeah, 
if I, if I joined in with what they were doing on, you know, the party night, then they would validate me. They'd like, dude, how many beers do you have? Do you know how many shots do you have? Dude, not as many as me. Ha ha. Like, you know, I mean, whatever. But, but we, what you were validated by in that community, it shaped his trajectory because he was looking to them for that validation. I had that community, but I was choosing to look to my Christian brothers and sisters for that validation. I chose to let them have that voice. Because your world is looking, I mean, man, politicians, professors, family members, look at any TikTok video. Everybody's looking to have a voice in your life. Everybody's wanting, but who are you choosing to let into that, into your life? Who are you choosing to let into your life? Will dictate your destiny. Because the validation you get from them will direct the trajectory of what you think about, live out, and express tomorrow to reinforce that validation tomorrow. And so that's a positive or a negative. I lived out my faith well because first time I hung out with Chi Alpha, oh, it's not too awkward for the girls, sorry, but like the first time I hung out with Chi Alpha socially was because my fraternity was doing a panty party. And I'm like, I probably shouldn't go to that. What is Chi Alpha doing? We're playing board games. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Board game night, cool. College life. Yeah, and now I love board games. You know, I'm not, you know, it's great. I have no problem with that. My wife is like a super board game nerd. Love it. But, but, you know, I was just like, whatever. But I was choosing to draw near to those places where I would find that validation. That's why we talk about, like, in reading, we talk about ODGs, these old dead guys or old dead girls. Like, there is, you know, there is something valuable about that. Because why? Because we're saying in part... These are people throughout church history that have had such impactful, powerful, dynamic experiences with God. You know, read the mystics of history, of church history. Read through, like, the great theological thinkers. These people who had these deep walks with Jesus. And if you got to have lunch with them today, this is what they would tell you. So they wrote it down. And you get to spend time with them. You get to draw near to their faith that creates this craving in your life and your faith as a result. You know, it's not reading for reading's sake. I don't care if it's a podcast or a video. or you know, I don't care. It's the idea of like drawing near that place. Are you abiding with the Lord throughout your day? Because you're not just trying to create habits for habit's sake. You're trying to create this longing for greater things than God. And there's this thing Tozer actually talks about. I think it's in the Knowledge of the Holy. He talks about the holy dissatisfaction of the patriarchs. If you read scripture, the Old Testament and the New, people who had these profound experiences with God... The closer they got to God, the more of God they experienced, most things in this world leave us kind of satisfied. That was good. Been there, done that, moving on. The patriarchs, the closer they got to God, the ones who had more experiences with God, they weren't more satisfied. They were more dissatisfied. There was a direct proportion to their desperation for God and how much of God they had because once they had tasted a little bit of God, they couldn't live without more of it. There was this desperation, this longing that began to consume their life. Is your life consumed with that craving for God and for more of him in your life? All right. Where are we at? I'm going to keep moving here. I'm going to get bogged down. Um, but, you know, we got to be careful. What are the negative things that we're validating with our time, with our attention? And I'm not trying to, like, you know, jump on the bandwagon, although it's easy because of a reason. But like, what, you know, is that Netflix series validating certain things in your life that are contrary to the identity that you're trying to take hold of, there's going to be in conflict with that. Like, I can tell you, even like, you know, amoral, whatever, but like, if I consume a whole lot of, 
media that has a certain worldview and a certain paradigm and a certain way of thinking about things, it's I catch that lens shaping my vision that week yeah. because it's it's what I'm validating in myself that's mm-hmm. taking on a sense of identity in my life. So we have to be careful. What are we validating, and is it in line with the kingdom of God? All right, we'll kind of fly through this a little bit, but value. Um, value. Did I read? Did I read the scripture? No, we didn't read the scripture. Um, Luke five eight. Luke five eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he dropped his nets, caught a whole bunch of fish. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, "Go away from me, Lord! I am a sinful man." Oftentimes, people think Jesus showed up to Peter, never met each other, said, "Follow me," and Peter followed Jesus. That's not really how it happened. There was a backstory. Maybe the first time that Jesus actually interacted with Peter was this moment right here. Jesus is preaching at the crowd. He's got a whole bunch of people following him. So he gets to a fisherman and says, hey, take me out so I can preach to the crowd from off the shore. Natural acoustic situation. He preaches. After he's done, he turns to the fisherman, this guy Peter. He says, hey, you catch anything last night? Peter says, nope, didn't catch a thing. He said, drop your nets. He's like, you're not a fisherman, Rabbi. No, you're good at teaching, but... uh, I didn't catch anything all night. So I said, don't worry about it. Just do it. Drops nets. Caught a load so full he needed all of his friends to help him get the load in. His response? Get away. Get away. I don't know what this is, but uh, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm scared of what's going on here. I, want, I don't want anything to do with that. His response is fear. Get away from me. Now, What's interesting is in John 21, verse 7, it says, Then the disciples, this is later, this is at the end, this is one of the last interactions Peter has with Jesus. This is the first, now the last. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, probably John is what commentators normally think, but said said to Peter, It is the Lord. They're out fishing. Jesus has died. People are seeing him rise from the dead. All of a sudden, John's like, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. So, what had happened right before this? Jesus had died, and what had happened with Peter? What happened with Peter right before Jesus died? He denied it. He denied it. So, let, let me just give you a little context. This is a little bit of like kind of looking behind the scenes a little bit. But think about this. The, as far as we know, and we don't know everything by any stretch, but as far as we know, this, you could say, was the most vulnerable moment in all of reality that the Trinity would ever have had. That one part of its being was going to separate, divide, and die for the sake of these humans. And they were suffering. The greatest, like, most vulnerable moment that the, that the Godhead would ever have in all of history, as far as we know. And here it was. And you know what? Here was this one human that was really close to Jesus. And he had the opportunity to maybe just be a little bit of an encouragement, support, resource in that moment. And what does he do instead? He turns his back. Now, if you want to talk about sin being a sense of separating yourself from God, that had to, be, had to be one of the most offensive moments in all of human history, one of the most sinful acts 
was that denial of Peter. And yet, Peter sees Jesus. And you know what? Peter is that sinful man he claims at the first interaction. But you know what his response is now? After drawing close to Jesus, after spending three years with Jesus, after spending day in and day out, the old blessing of disciples was, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. After being so consumed, so close to his rabbi, you know what his response is? I don't give a crap if I'm a sinner. I just want to be close. I just want to be close. I don't give a care in the world. That's an identity that's being transformed. All right, so validation, value. Value forms our sense of identity. We're going to fly through this a little bit here, but there there is a concept we need to understand. The principle is we need to understand we need to claim, not create our identity. We need to claim, not create. In in human history, we have often found identity, or let's say value. We have often found value that creates our identity. We have found value in kind of two things. With areas where we claim it, um, and that would be things like family. That would be things like tribe, nation. Um, I would I would argue Christianity is really the only one that I would that I can think of that would actually justify would be in the claim not the create category because what it is it's not what you did or what you do it's what he did and now you are a new creation you are transformed because of his work on the cross not because of your work to get you there so so these are typically claims it's not what you've done it's just who you are you were born in this family you didn't do anything to earn it mom and dad had a fun night you know nine months ago and here you are and you didn't do anything to earn it but you exist, and now you have value because you are valuable to them. And so, and so we typically have had that. But in our modern society, claim identities have often gone by the wayside. The family unit has often been a very destructive and, and uh, difficult thing that is, has caused a lot of damage in people's lives. I don't know why I keep saying Ds. But, but that's been difficult. You know, We are oftentimes very disillusioned with our nations and our sense of government and government officials and all of that. Like we rejected God and all that he may offer. And so we are left with with create. Now, the one area where I think is kind of interesting is society is so overwhelmed with, well, let me talk about create. So we have left is create identities. And those are things that we just form. And that is why so often anxiety and depression is going up. Now, this is not the only reason and this is a very overly simplistic response to even this concept. So I'm not trying to oversimplify. Well, I am trying to oversimplify, but I know I'm doing it. So just know that I'm, there's a whole lot more to this. But but what is going on is, you know why your anxiety is going on? Why you know, CSU and so many other universities are just like, what is going on? This generation is just going sky high with anxiety. Never seen anything like it. You know why? Because you have nothing to hold on to that you have claimed, and so you have to create your identity. And so that test is not an assessment. When I went to school, I never even heard of anybody having test anxiety. Never, I mean, I think I heard of it once or twice by the end. And it's not just because, oh, we didn't have language for it, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, that's probably part of it. It's probably part of it. But I knew so many people, it wasn't even a thing going on in people's lives. Now it's just like every day. It's just like, no, but yeah, it's like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, everybody has that. It's like, what? You know why? Because, because when you take that test and you fail it, in the past, it's like, oh, well, crap. 
what am I going to do? How am I going to get that, you know, internship I was wanting this summer? Like, yeah, shoot, I need to study more. Shouldn't stay up till three in the morning, you know, playing video games with my buddies and then try to like take an 8 a.m. test, right? Like you just realize, like, oh, I did something that was kind of silly, but, but it's not in a sense of identity creation necessarily. Now that test, that is a direct assault on your sense of self. That's a direct confrontation to who you are because that's what you've got. You wake up in the morning and you have to create your identity. That relationship, that breakup, it's not just hurtful and it always been painful. I'm not saying like it was perfect in my day. I'm just saying it's gotten worse from my day. But like that relationship when you break up, it's not just like, oh, we don't have the right chemistry or we're going different directions or whatever. It's a direct confrontation to the idea that you have value as a human being and that you're not worthy of being with someone else. That identity creation is every – when you wake up every morning with having to have to create that, and you don't even realize that. Some of you guys are like, oh, maybe that's why I think that way. But like you don't – it's just the air you breathe. But when you wake up every morning with that kind of air, it's suffocating the very life out of your being. Because you're not made to carry that burden. You can't carry that kind of burden. Waking up every morning and saying, I have to create value for myself. Everything, you know, no wonder you have anxiety. Everything is an assault to that value that you know you need to have to just live. But everything is a direct confrontation to that idea. So we need to claim it. Now, we, the society right now is realizing that and tries to kind of push sort of a claim identity into reality right now. So you, you hear these things like you do you, be true to yourself. And you know what is generally being toted through that is where you can find a claim identity is not in family, not in nation, not in religion, not anything else. It is in who you are, but who are you? And so Timothy Keller wrote a book called Making Sense of God. It's a great book. If you ever heard The Reason for God, it's kind of a follow-up. In The Reason for God, he said, here are the main objections I hear from society about my religion. Let me give you some answers to those objections. In Making Sense of God, he said, okay, I've answered your objections. Now here are my objections to society. Does it really well, but it's basically it's a really interesting thing. And what he gets to, he's like, how do you even define yourself? Because in any given moment, you're full of all kinds of desires, wants, temptations, challenges, tensions, competing values. Like who you are is not some kind of cohesive concept that you're being true to. And so really what you're doing is just letting culture define you and then being true to your culture is what you're actually saying, whether or not your values of your culture are right, wrong, or whatever. But, but we have to recognize, oftentimes we found temperament values being true these days. It's like, some, one of the worst things some of you guys have been told is that you're an introvert. Yeah. And I am an introvert. In every test, I'm an introvert. And let me tell you, too many people create temperament identities. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't have time for you because that's just who I am. Yeah. I need I need that time. That's just me, me being true to myself. It's like, and you guys even are sort of offended that I even would challenge that. It's like, well, yes, that's who I am. Well, uh, wait, but yes, that's, I'm not saying it's not true, but it's not your identity, yeah. right? It's more true, like you go to the, like you go to the gym, one buddy may have been born with a certain build that, you know, makes them, 
you know, bench better than you and you're a little bit faster than them. Sure, you might have some tendencies, some temperaments. Sure. But what you do with those has way more to do with anything in life. Way more to do with that. What you do with it. It's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not very physical, so I'm just going to, like, never work out or have a healthy lifestyle because that's just not who I am. No. I don't care where you started from. What you do with it is what matters. So we have to kind of challenge that idea in our sense, in our sense of society. But it's because their society is trying to figure out we can't live this way. We have to have something we claim. But what do we claim without God? We have nothing to claim without God. All right. So then we get – did I talk about the scripture? I keep forgetting the scripture. Numbers 15. Bad campus minister. Okay. But the thing we need to do is make it visible. Make it visible. So Numbers 15:37 says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves, strong language for what's going on, by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. And so what, you know, there's a lot of scripture verses I could use, but this one I was just trying to highlight this idea. God said, hey, I'm going to make a clothing line for Israel. And, you know, it's going to be great. We're going to use some blue, you know, and kind of drab. You guys get a little drab there in the Middle East, you know, ancient Israel. So we're going to add some color in there. And this is going to help you remember. It's just going to be something when you're walking down the road every day, throughout your day, you're going to look at that and be like, this is who I am. Because this is the God who redeemed Israel. It's going to remind you of who you are because of what I've done to you. And, and that identity creation was because... He was just saying, hey, this is who you are in me, but you have to make it visible to kind of remind you to keep bringing it up, keep bringing it about. If you look in the Bible for where it says have a daily devotional life, you're not going to find it. But you will find, read the Bible, you know, meditate on the word day and night, pray without ceasing. It's going to be this idea of, of connecting to your identity. But we say have a daily devotional life. Why? Because bread a month ago means you're starving today. You need to keep connecting to that identity, keep connecting to that sense of who you are, which is shaped by what he has done for you. And when you spend time reading and praying every day, it's it's food for your soul. It's bringing you back, not just so you can check off, oh, I did my religious duty, so I fulfilled that obligation, but it's the means by which you connect your sense of who I am today to that identity in what he has done for me today. And so through that, we keep creating that craving that keeps developing that value that shapes that identity as a result. All right. Um, So I would say real practically, but, you know, make it visible. And and make it visible just in your schedule. I'm not just saying, I mean, yeah, put a little cute post-it note. You know, I know girls who always were like putting little, you know, scripture verses on their mirrors when they looked in the morning, like, okay, you know, that, that's great. Do it, whatever. But like, like make it in your schedule, put it in your schedule every, every morning. I'm kind of a night owl a little bit. So I, I go prayer walk after the kids go to bed I'll go walk around campus, you know, when nobody's around and just kind of prayer walk around the campus, well, whatever. But like make it visible by making it something consistently 
accessible in your schedule in your life. All right. Lastly, and we're going to wrap here, but in our identity, our identity is formed around what gives us value from what has validated us in our life. And so the principle is identify your ultimate concern. Identify your ultimate concern. And when we say identify your ultimate concern, what we mean is everything is either a means or an end in your life. Why are you going to class? Some of you guys started a week or two ago. Some of you guys are starting in here in a day or two. Like, why are you going to class? Well, because I want to get a good grade. Well, why do you want to do that? Well, because I want to get that internship. Why do you want an internship? I want that job. Why do you want a job? I want that career. Why do you want a career? And eventually you start to kind of, you get to what they call an ultimate concern, which is something that does not have another reason. It is just unto itself a reason. Mm -hmm. And pretty much always an ultimate concern is an identity concept. Because I want to be like this. I want to be a person like that. I, my uncle, I have an uncle who became a follower of Christ because he was a, uh, a business guy. And he looked around and he said, you know, there's one thing that's common amongst all of the business people I respect. And this, that they're all Christians. So there must be something there. But he became a Christian because he identified with an identity that he wanted to claim in his own life. He's like, I want to be a businessman like this. And all the businessmen that are like this are Christians, so there must be something in there that's a, that is causing them to be that way. And so what, what is your ultimate concerns? What are the things that you do? Why do you do the things you do? Like, Why are you doing what you do and what is it accomplishing? James Clear, kind of a famous book recently, Atomic Habits. It's good. I'd recommend it. Uh, the most effective way to change your habits is to focus not on what you want to achieve, but on who you wish to become. Now, he's talking from more of a secular perspective of creating identity. We just talk about claiming it, but the concept is the same. If I want to be a man of, of close to God, a man of God's, after God's own heart, I'm going to pray. Because to express that is not creating that identity, but it's helping me take hold of it. It's how I claim it. It's how I claim the identity God has given me by expressing it regularly. And so that's our, that's our practical is express the principle regularly. If you express it before you possess it, you begin to claim your value by validating your sense of self. This is who I am. If you want an identity, you have to sacrifice for that identity. Yeah. If you do not sacrifice for something, it is not a value in your life. Because something valuable is something you always are willing to pay for. And you pay for it. And that's how you find the value in it. And so you have to, what are you willing to sacrifice for? And I'll close with this. Um, Gideon's story in Judges 6, 12, the angel says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, Lord is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The context of this passage is Gideon is hiding from the enemies of Israel. He is not acting like a mighty warrior. But you know what? God said, this is who you are. Now, the rest of the story of Judges with Gideon is Gideon learning to take hold of that identity. And by the end, he starts to actually express it. But he had to start stepping out and he had to start expressing it before he could claim it in his own heart. He wasn't it. In the way that we think of it, he wasn't a warrior. He was a coward. But the angel didn't say, you who have great potential, 
stand up. You who could become a mighty warrior. Lindsay just walked in the room 12 years ago, as of last week. I said two little words, I do, and my identity changed. And now, have I always expressed that well? No. Am I learning to take hold of that? Yes. Did I change when I said those two little words? No. But in 12 years, I have. <laughs> I do a lot more dishes these days than I ever cared about in my training <laughs> house, I'll tell you that. But, but my identity changed. I spent the last 12 years learning to take hold of the identity that was already mine now. And in Christ, we are a new creation. And you will spend the rest of your life learning to take hold of it. And the more you learn to take hold of that craving for what you could become in Christ, that he has already offered to you and already given you, the transformation of your heart begins to grow as you draw close to the source of true value in this world and find the longing for what you truly long for all the ever since you didn't even know what it was that you were looking for and found the source of the thing you didn't even know you wanted but have always needed in your life. Last thought, Jesus goes up to the man at the pool of Bethesda and says, do you want to be healed? Which a commentator, Morgan, says was a strange question if you thought about it, because of course he wanted to be healed. He was at this pool that was supposedly had this, this idea that sometimes an angel would heal somebody at the pool. But Jesus, you know, it's interesting. Our, our old identities are comfortable, familiar. Even our wounds sometimes are things that we're more comfortable with than letting go of them for the sake of something else. And so here's Jesus, and he says, yeah, you're going to have to get a job tomorrow because I'm going to heal you. And you don't, you're not going to get pity attention anymore. Are you okay finding a new identity with me? Do you want healed? And your world has given you a lot of things to shape your identity around. And Jesus would come to you today and say, do you want to be healed? Do you want transformed from the way your world has taught you to be? Because I'll give it to you. But it will, it will be something you have to choose. And so Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you begin to press into Jesus, draw near to him, you'll find the identity and through it the value that you've always longed for. Amen? Amen.